Heavenly Father, we just come to you today. We thank you for this time that we can worship you. We thank you for meeting us here today. Lord, I just ask that uh, you would just reveal yourself through this message, Lord, that you would just draw us back to you uh, or closer to you. And um, Lord, that uh, you would just reveal your character to us through the, the story of Jonah, Lord. We thank you so much for your word that you've given us a way to uh, just know you, Lord, to draw close to you, to draw near to you, and to build that relationship um, that you so desire with us. We thank you for the um, just the grace and the favor you've poured out on us through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, Lord. Something we will never earn or deserve, but you did it out of just sheer love for us, unending love for us. And we thank you for that this morning. I just, I just, uh, just want to say a prayer over the kids in Kids City this morning, Lord, that you would be with them there as well, and that you would just continue to reveal yourself to them in their lives. Uh, and just, uh, just pray a blessing over the teachers today. And uh, we just give this day to you. Your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You guys may be seated. Uh, if you have some kids, you can shuffle them off to Kid City, and we'll begin here shortly. It's okay, guys. We could talk here. It's <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Send the kids off to Kid City. I got like four people left, so I don't know how we do it. <laughs> um, well, guys, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, if you weren't here last week, we are uh, just beginning a new sermon series through the Minor Prophets, so uh, I, th- I thought it'd be fun to... Um, this is my exegetical theological mind thinking it's fun to go through the minor prophets, but uh, there's usually books that we don't typically read, you know, um, we're like Obadiah, you know, where is that in the Bible? Um, but uh, they do have some wonderful messages, wonderful lessons and stories um, found throughout, and it's important that we uh, really dig into the entirety of the Bible, not just the New Testament or uh, not just the, the major stories in the Old Testament, uh, but really go through it and, and see God's character revealed. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, last week we began in the book of Jonah, uh, which is a very common or well-known story for the most part about a prophet who kind of defied the Lord and uh, and his calling on his life and went in the opposite direction, um, hoping to run from God. And uh, for those who have ran from God in the past, you probably know it's not possible <laughs> to hide from God or to run from God. Um, and uh, in this story, Jonah, uh, last week in chapter 1, uh, boards a ship um, to Tarshish. Uh, he, he finds himself in Joppa, and he happens to find a ship going uh, as far west as he could possibly imagine, away from Nineveh. And uh, in the middle of uh, his trip on this ship, uh, there is a huge storm uh, that enters, and it uh, brings a lot of fear into the lives of the sailors there. And uh, for some reason, Jonah is somehow sleeping through a storm, um, and so they go and wake him up, and they want to know what's going on. You know, they said they prayed to their gods. These are pagan men, none, not believers uh, in the God of Israel. And uh, and Jonah explains the situation that he's been running from God, that his God is the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea, 
and they start to panic. And he says, just throw me overboard, uh, and it'll stop. And uh, they didn't want blood on their hands, so they said, well, we're going try to try to row to shore and without success. And so they finally decide to throw Jonah overboard. But beforehand, you see that they pray to this god of Jonah's, asking for... Um, just the, the hand of God's judgment to be off of them, that they don't want the blood of this man on their hands, but they're doing it because he was com- they were commanded to. Uh, and uh, it's an incredible story, really, of how God uses uh, even the mistakes in our lives to really draw people to him. He, he can use even the times in our life when we defy him uh, to bring glory to his name. And, uh, and so that's where we stopped our story. Jonah was thrown into the sea, and he died. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he did not die. It doesn't end there. There's, there's, there's three more chapters, so it doesn't end there. Um, he probably, Jonah probably wished it did, as we'll see, uh, but it did not end there. And so, um, but in all this, we really see God as, as patient, as gracious, uh, even in light of sin. And as Jonah's tossed overboard, his expectation, like I imagine, it was this is the end, this is it, um, this is where I die. But God's grace allowed him a second chance to respond in obedience. And we also see God's grace poured out over the Ninevites. Uh, and we did talk about the Ninevites. They're a direct enemy and threat to the nation of Israel. Uh, I don't, I, we're not sure at this time if they were the capital of Assyria, but they, um, the Assyrian Empire did uh, live in that city, which was a very dangerous uh, threat to the Israelites. They were an enemy. They were very... Um, aggressive too. And so uh, you can kind of understand why Jonah may have been apprehensive in that sense of uh, going to a direct enemy of, of Israel and proclaiming judgment on them. It probably wouldn't go over so well. Um, but we see that Jonah's reaction to the grace poured out in his life as well as the life of the Ninevites. And uh, so the lesson for us is that God's grace has been extended to every single human being through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Ephesians 1 does tell us that you were dead in the trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so let's see the conclusion of the story of Jonah. We're going to actually begin in the last verse of chapter 1 and uh, go into chapter 2. So I'll give you a second to turn there if you haven't already. Um, but beginning at the last verse, cha- uh, chapter 1, verse 17. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now it's interesting, they use the word fish. I always wondered, you know, we see pictures of whales or uh, sometimes it is a fish. You know, what, what was it that swallowed up Jonah? And of course we don't know. There wasn't... Uh, any documentation. He didn't bring a GoPro with him or anything like that, so we don't really know uh, what it was that swallowed Jonah, but it is important to understand that back then they didn't have different classifications of whales, fish, sharks, and all these different things. Anything that looked like a fish and it swam in the ocean was a fish. So uh, I did some research and uh, just to see like what was the likely uh, you know animal that did swallow Jonah. They really don't know, but there's some guesses that it could have been a sperm whale. They're big enough to swallow a human whole, and in fact, they've had found human remains in uh, sperm whales in the past when they used to hunt them, and they'd cut them open, and they'd see a, a human remains uh, fully intact. And uh, but another person said it was likely a great white shark, which is pretty terrifying. Um, but it could have been anything. They, they said they really don't know, but it had it would have to be an animal that could swallow a human being whole. 
So that's just a fun little fact for you, maybe for a Snapple lid or something you can give. Um, but uh, let's continue in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, after it says that he's been in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights, it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now it's interesting that the wording here seems to suggest that Jonah prayed after three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. This man was very reluctant to pray, even in the midst of great trial. Right? Talk about stubbornness. It took him 72 hours to say, okay, maybe I should pray. I'm kind of stuck in the belly of a giant fish right now. Um, I don't know about you. If it was me, I would have been praying as soon as I hit that water. <laughs> I need something here. I know I've uh, kind of messed up and put myself in this situation, God, but I could use your help. But uh, we see Jonah. Nope, I'm not going to pray. You know, I'd rather die in the belly of this fish than pray. Um, but he's a, he's a very stubborn person, as we see. But the thing is, that we can all learn from this, is that we can all be reluctant at times to pray, can't we? There's always times in our lives where we can be reluctant to call on the name of the Lord for help. And why is that? I think for one, I think a major reason, at least in my life, when I'm reluctant to pray, is pride. Our pride can get in the way so much that we, that we refuse to ask for help from anybody, right? Especially God. And another reason that I find sometimes that we are reluctant to pray is out of guilt, right? We've done too much to ever receive God's grace or God's uh, answer in our life, right? We're condemned and he's not going to listen to us. And so in in another sense, we really think that we're on our own when we are racked with guilt. And so we refuse to pray because it's our fault anyway and uh, there's no help for me. And there's other reasons that... that, um, we can be reluctant to rely on God, but those seem to be the two most common that can um, enter in. Um, and for some, prayer tends to be a last resort in all situations in life. We'd rather exhaust every last resource before coming to God in prayer, right? Or let you know, I'll do it on my own. You know, I'm going to keep trying to do it on my own. It's not working, but I'm going to try something else, you know. Maybe we'll enlist the help of others, but not before I keep trying on my own. <laughs> this is, no, at least this is, this is my list. Maybe it's familiar to you as well, but okay, I'm going to ask for help. But I'm not going to pray yet. I'm just going to ask for help. Um, and then um, if that doesn't work, I'm going to continue to try it on my own some more. And then I might pray <laughs> um, if nothing else is working. Um, but that can tend to be uh, my, in, uh, my situation as well. And so a lot of times it's out of pride or just out of reluctance for one reason or another. But regardless of the situation, we, we tend to be hesitant to pray. We tend to be hesitant to rely on God. And in Jonah's case, his reluctance is born out of rebellion. But here's the thing, guys. If we're going to have a right relationship with God, we must have a lifestyle immersed in prayer. Okay, it's very important. If we're going to have a right relationship with God, it, this is important to know too. We all have a relationship with God. Whether you believe in God or not, you have a relationship with him. Um, you might be on the uh, receiving end of judgment <laughs> if you don't have a right relationship with him. But we do have a relationship one way or the other. But if we want to have a right relationship, we need to be immersed in prayer. We need to spend time in God's word. We need to be spending time uh, in God's presence and praying to him. But why is that? It's because prayer is our, communi- our, our communicative connection to God. Right? You, you can't have a strong relationship with your spouse or a friend um, or family without having some form of communication, right? And so being in contact with those close to you is what keeps you close. And the same goes for our relationship with God. How can we expect to know him or, or to recognize his voice above the noise of life? And to be more aware of his will and calling on our life if we're not in communication, if we're not in fellowship with him. I think the answer is simple, that is that we can't. 
And so let's look at Jonah chapter 2. It continues in verse 2. Uh, it says that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. So one of the reasons we see why Jonah finally calls out to God is because of, he, as he says it, his distress. That distress is, is well, for him it's being in the great belly of a, of a giant fish for three days. <laughs> I'd be pretty uh, distressed, I think. You know? And he, he even compares it to being in Sheol. And the word Sheol in Hebrew means the place of the dead. So in other words, he really felt like he was in hell, in, in the belly of this fish. And as he admits, it's because of distress and affliction that he's decided to call on God. And we mentioned last week very quickly, but it's important to know and to recognize this morning that God uses our mistakes. And oftentimes the pain and affliction that come along with our poor choices, he'll use those to draw us back to him in a heart of prayer. Look at Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It's very clear, right? He uses affliction to draw us back sometimes. Hebrews 12, verse 5 and verse 11, it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. In verse 11, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Right, so because of God's love for us, it says that he will reprove us or humble us, much like in Jonah's situation. And in that process, he can use trials, he can use affliction, um, pain, to bring us back to himself. Now, don't raise your hands, but how many of you here know from personal experience what it's like to be reproved or humbled by the Lord? I know I have, and I don't, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> it it's a, looking back, it's a wonderful moment of growth in my life, but uh, it took um, you know, my, my sin and my rebellion to draw me back to him and draw me closer to him. Perhaps at first you rejected the Lord's chastening, but over time, because of your choices, either because of some pain or affliction that took place in your life, it brought you back to the place where you were on your knees in prayer to God. Now, if God had not allowed that to happen in your life, you would never have come to him. Perhaps in the middle of the storm, you couldn't see his purpose or love behind it. But once the storm had calmed and you were able to look back on that chapter of your life, you come to realize that, God, you did this for my good. You know, I, I, don't, I didn't enjoy it, but you did it for my good. You drew me back to your heart. And I've heard time and time again um, with those who have, have struggled through life and have met various um, times of pain and affliction and suffering. And, and although it was difficult, they say, um, and they didn't know if they were going to make it through it, they always say that I would never take back that moment in my life because it drew me back to God. That I drew closer to God. It brought them to a point where they recognized and realized their foolishness apart from the Lord. And so it's important to understand that sometimes it is the affliction that brings us back to God. So let's continue in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Now it says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Now, as a prophet, um, Jonah was very familiar. He knew what it was like to be in close relationship and fellowship with God. He, he was often, God would often speak to him, the words, direct words that he would give him to speak to others. And uh, he knew what it was like to commune with the Lord. But in his moment of rebellion, he now knew what it was like to be distant from God. Right? When he says, yet I shall look upon your holy temple, again, upon your holy temple, 
it seems to suggest that he had turned away for a time, right? His eyes were not on the Lord, but rather they were on himself. And his actions were that of pride, selfishness, and conceit. And when we dwell in those places, when we live in those places, we will always be turned from God, right? You cannot dwell in the flesh and be in the presence of God. It doesn't work that way. It's one or the other. And oftentimes when we're running from God, we're typically running to the flesh, right? We're running to something that is not of God. In verse 9, he says, But I was with the voice of thanksgiving, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now this verse here is Jonah's confession, and you're going to see it's still a reluctant confession, um, but it's a a reluctant um, admittance that God is the source of salvation, and that salvation is not just for him, and it's not just for Israelites, but it's for, in fact, all people, even the enemies of the Lord's people. And so Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, it really encompasses, um, if you read through it, uh, the poetic prose of the Psalms. It, it reads a lot like you'd see in the book of Psalms. It's filled with imagery, it's filled with metaphor, uh, to paint a picture of God's grace and salvation. But this returning, this coming back to God for Jonah was brought on by the affliction of his life. And while we'll see in chapter 4 that Jonah's heart still not fully turned back to God, we see a humility and a desperation in his prayer to God. And for Jonah, it took him three days of intense affliction and suffering to draw him back to the Lord. But for some of us, it can take that long, but it can take longer, right? It can take months or even years of, of just affliction and, and heartbreak and pain and all these things that our, our poor life choices are making and causing in our own life that we finally recognize the grace upon, of God upon our life and turn back to him. Now, as we move into chapter 3 of Jonah, the concluding verses in chapter 2 is is really a simple reminder of who's really in control of the situation in our lives. Jonah attempted to seize control of the situation by fleeing God altogether, right? He ran from the call of God, but God drew him back. And with a simple word from the Lord, it tells us that the fish spits Jonah up onto dry land. And again, it's just a wonderful reminder of, of God's power, of God's might, Just a simple word. You know, it's been three days, three nights. He finally prays. He finally admits that he needs help. And God just speaks a word. And then he's he's back on the dry land. You wonder if, you know, if he would have just said it immediately, if it would have just happened in a couple minutes. (laughs) But uh, that's what pride can do sometimes. It can lead us down a path far too long that we shouldn't be on. I'm continuing in chapter 3 now, the first five verses. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And so here we, we really see God's grace poured out in, in a couple different ways on a couple different people. First, we see God's grace poured out on Jonah when he gives him a second chance, right? He, he wasn't by accident that he went the wrong direction. This was on purpose. He, he fleed exactly west when Nineveh was directly east. 
Um, and if you look at a map, if you see where Tarshish is, it's actually, I think it's like 2,500 miles across the Mediterranean. So he was going a long way. He wasn't uh, by accident. You know, I thought, I thought Nineveh was over here, you know, but it wasn't like that. He was doing it on purpose. And so we see God's grace in a second chance given to Jonah. And this time it plays out a little bit differently, right? He, he obeys. I mean, some of you are thinking, I wish my kids would obey the second time even. <laughs> it takes more than two times of reproving to get them to, to go the way I want them to. Um, but it says the journey in Nineveh is three days journey in breadth. Now this doesn't necessarily mean it took him three days to walk from one end to the other, but three days to preach his message throughout the entire city. But regardless, it's a massive city. They believe there is 120,000 men and upwards of 600,000 people total in the city. And God's telling him to preach this message to the entire city. And remember, they don't have, you know, I can't just record the sermon, post it online, and they can all hear it for themselves. He's got to walk through the city and continue to preach judgment upon enemies. 600,000 people who are enemies of Israel. But we also see God's grace and God's protection over him as well because he didn't die. (laughs) So that's good. Um, (laughs) But what I find really is the most interesting aspect about the story of Jonah is the response of the Ninevites. And if you recall back to last week when when Jonah's explaining uh, God to the sailors, he says, I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So he tells us, he, he claims that he fears the Lord, but his actions, right, they indicate otherwise. If you really feared the Lord, would you be running so adamantly against his will in your life? And if there's anyone in the story of Jonah that you'd pick that would live in obedience and fear of God, right, it would be Jonah. It would be the prophet of Israel. But really, it's the pagans in our story who show true fear and immediate obedience to God. We see it both in the sailors first, right? They see and they recognize and they fear and they begin to pray and, and, and make sacrifices to this God that they have never heard of before immediately while they're on the ship. And then they begin to make vows once the storm calms. But we also see it in the Ninevites as well. In verse 5, it says the people believed God. There's immediacy there too uh, in the uh, original text. It's an immediacy of their belief. They immediately turned from their ways and began to fast and pray and put on sackcloth, which was an indication of mourning of their sin. And so the response of the Ninevites is belief and immediate response. So in the, in the word believed is the first word in the Hebrew text. And again, that that underscores the immediacy of Nineveh's repentance. Now, this entire story is filled with irony. And I, for one, I love irony. Um, (laughs) But the Ninevites actually display the proper posture that we should have. And it's not Jonah. Jonah is really the one in the story that uh, you don't want to be like. (laughs) But both stories indicate a vital aspect of God's character. And in both cases, we see that God relented in his judgment. In verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. In Jonah's case, his coming back to God, it required affliction to break down his walls of stubbornness and pride. On the part of the Ninevites, their immediate repentance, it saved them from any affliction whatsoever. Not only does this show the grace of God, but it also shows the faithfulness of God. Now, the threat of God spoken through Jonah, it sounds unconditional, right? It sounds like this is what's going to happen. It says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But it was really a conditional promise. The implied condition was that if the people repent, God will relent. So Jonah knew this condition was included, as we see in chapter 4. 
And this displays the faithfulness of God. It's, it's so good to know that God will always do what he says he will do. And this is why we, not, we, we need not fear in this life, right? Because we know that God is faithful. Now certainly we may face trials, we may face difficulties, great loss, suffering, whatever it may be, we're going to face it. The Bible is very clear. At the very least, believers will face persecution. It promises that. In this temporal life, we have to remember this life is not forever. This is a temporary life. But we have a great hope beyond this world. And so while we may face hardships in the here and now, while we might even face death in the here and now, God has promised eternity with him for those who place their faith in Christ Jesus. But just as he promised the grace to the sinners of Nineveh if they repented and turned, he too promises us his relenting judgment if we turn to Jesus Christ. So in the same sense, those, for those who do not believe or have placed their faith in Christ, this should fill us with great fear because it tells us God is faithful, right? So God never holds back on his promises. If God is promising um, hell and damnation for eternity, for those who don't believe, we better believe it's going to happen. I'm not, uh, I'm not typically a fire and brimstone guy. That's not, uh, not the way I typically preach. But it is important to know that if God is faithful and he has always proven to be faithful, we have to understand the judgment that faces a world who turns their back on God. We saw the promised destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in, in uh, the book of Genesis for their lack of faith and obedience. And the same holds true for those who refuse God uh, in, the, in the very end. You see, God is gracious, as we see in, in Jonah chapter 1 and chapter 2, and he's also faithful. But that doesn't mean that we're just off the hook, right? He, he's given us a gift of salvation, but it's, it's a gift that must be accepted or denied, and that choice is left to us. Okay, it can't be just like, you know, let me, let me mull this over, and maybe I'll take it, maybe I won't. You're going to take it or you're not at some point in your life. So let's jump into chapter 4 now, and we see the words gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 here. So we're going to read a little, a good, good chunk of scripture here, and then we'll break it down. In, in, uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So he sees the relenting judgment of God, and it tells us that, he was angry. And he says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. So now we see the reasoning behind his disobedience and his rebellion. It wasn't based out of fear of death or fear of uh, imprisonment. It was actually because he did not want to see Nineveh um, have grace from the Lord. So he says, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I absolutely love that verse. It's such a wonderful reminder of the God that we serve. It just is characteristics. In verse 3 it continues, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat, un it, uh, excuse me, he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. 
But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plants so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun to beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he being Jonah said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? And interestingly, that is how the book of Jonah ends. <laughs> it ends with a question that is unanswered. It kind of leaves us on the edge of our seats. And, um, you know, it's like a Christopher Nolan film. You never know, you know, did the top wobble or not in Inception? You know, who knows? We can have a debate about it if you want. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyway, I just, I just love how this kind of is open-ended. We don't really know what happens to Jonah after this. or We know what happens to Nineveh. They were... Um, they, God relented from his anger and his wrath on them. But first off, as stated last week, one of the jobs of a prophet is to reveal the nature and character of God. And that's what we see here clearly in verse 2. Now, oftentimes, the character of God in, in the uh, books of the prophets uh, is revealed through actions, right? How, how God acts in a certain way, which is the case here as well. But we also see it revealed very obviously for us through the text, which makes it nice and easy. <laughs> Jonah reveals God to be gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Now, if you didn't already know these qualities revealed in the story, they're written down for us, so it's, it's easy for us to remember. And if you ever need to know, it's in verse 2 of chapter 4 of Jonah, and it's a great reminder of the God that we serve. Now we come to the conclusion of the story, and it's the revelation of Jonah's initial disobedience. So he, even beforehand, when God gave him these orders to go to Nineveh, he understood fully that God was, was very gracious, and he did not want that grace extended to an enemy. Right? His, his attitude is severely flawed, and we see it here, and it just, it really seems silly, right, that, to have such, a, such an anger, but how often can we be this way as well? You know, I look at the life of Jonah, I'm like, what a putz, you know, like, why would he be like this? And then God's like, hey, you know, <laughs> you got some similarities to this guy, maybe you should uh, look at yourself for a little bit. Um, but, but how often can we be this way, right? We may secretly celebrate the fall of grace of another. Uh, perhaps we've seen a coworker continually slack off or they steal, whatever it is, you know, and you're like, why are they still here? But, and we just desire for them to, to be destroyed or fired or whatever it is. You know, we want judgment on these people. Why are they like this? Why are they getting away with it? You know, and, and so if they are fired, you know, we celebrate with glee while outwardly saying, you know, that's, too, that's really too bad. I'm sorry about that. But in really, we're like, that's great. You know, really happy about it. But, or, you know, perhaps it's the other way around. Perhaps they're shown grace, right? And we think, well, that's not fair. You know, if I did that, I'd certainly be fired, blah, blah, blah. Fill in the blank of whatever the situation is. You know, they deserve judgment. They don't deserve this. And Jonah's attitude here reminds me a lot of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. If you're familiar with that story, uh, the prodigal son, he, he decides to take his, um, the money that's entrusted to him when his father dies, but he actually takes it before his father dies, and he goes off and he spends it poorly on all these different extravagant things, and he becomes poor and homeless. He ends up working um, 
among the pigs and eating among the pigs, which is uh, and working for a Gentile as a as an Israelite, which was unheard of. And uh, so he finally, in his humility, decides to go home and just ask for forgiveness from his father and just ask if he could work as a servant for his father. And we see the father just to extend his grace. He welcomes him in. He has a huge banquet for his son to welcome him home. And in the meanwhile, the older brother is jealous of this. Why is, why is he showing grace to my brother? He spent all his money. You know, he's blowing it. Why is he doing this? And, and that's the similar characteristics or the... Uh, qualities and attitude that we see in Jonah in this story, right? He sees grace extended on another and he says he's very angry about it. And so it's important to remember that that we can be so upset or, or desiring judgment or wrath on another individual, but all the while we forget the grace that's fully extended to us as well. You know, Jonah sure didn't mind the grace he was given, right? When God had the fish spit him up on the dry land and give him a second chance. Although he does say now he'd rather be dead, so <laughs> maybe he didn't like that. But um, it's so easy to forget that we have been given the extended hand of God's grace for eternity, right? It's so easy to forget that, that we all deserve condemnation and judgment and, um, and eternity separated from God. So we, we desire this judgment upon our enemies, but we must really learn to have this heart of God upon the people that we may deem enemies or those who may oppose us or be against us. Because we've all been extended incredible, incredible amounts of grace in our own lives. 1 Timothy 2.4, it tells us that God is a God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Right? It's not just our friends. <laughs> it's not just relatives or people, the people that we get along with the best. He says it's all people. Right? Even the very people who have run God's name through the mud, even those who mocked and spit upon the face of Jesus, both literally and figuratively, he's saying it's all people. And we must learn, guys, as believers in this community, to carry that heart as well among those who may not know the Lord. And for those who know the Lord, we should show it to both. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's like, well, he didn't tell me I had to do it to you. You know, I can be mean to you because you already believe. Um, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> um, and so we like to think, you know, so what, guys, if they don't deserve grace, quote-unquote deserve it, you know, because it's very clear that we don't deserve it either. I certainly don't deserve it. And so I think it's important to remember that in the midst of maybe our anger or we see that there seems to be God's hand of favor upon these people even though they continually turn their back on God or whatever it may be. And instead of getting upset about it, just recognizing God's grace for what it truly is, right? And just praying for that same heart of grace upon the people that we interact with every day. Remember, Scripture tells us that while we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. It wasn't when we finally turned and made ourselves righteous, because that's not possible. It was when we were dead in our sins that Christ died for us. And so that's grace. That's, that's unlimited, infinite grace right there. And it's only further confirmed in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And the word perish here, it means more than just a physical death. Uh, it's an eternal separation from God. And, and we see God's heart is full of grace and compassion. And we see in Second Peter 3, verse 9, that that's, that's fully true in regards to the Ninevites. You know, he, he gave them an opportunity. He was not slow 
to anger. He was very patient towards the Ninevites. They had been a long-time enemy of the Israelites. And so he gave them a final, in essence, a final warning, and they turned, and he withheld their ju- his judgment from them. It's important to understand that God's ultimate desire is, is for the restored communion of him with his creation, including all people. And so the book of Jonah has a very interesting ending, as we just talked about a little bit. It ends without a response from Jonah from a question given by God. And and so I just want to read those last three verses from 9 to to 11. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He kind of sounds like a little kid. Um, (laughs) Very dramatic, but he's very upset. And, And it says, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So these people didn't even understand right and left. No, that's not what it's saying. Um, <laughs> it's very interesting that Jonah, he shows pity upon the simple little plant that he did nothing for, yet he shows anger over God's relenting judgment and grace and salvation of the Ninevites. So when God says these people do not know their right hand from their left, it's really an idiom uh, for being morally and spiritually unaware. So he's giving them the opportunity to understand, here is the, the, God, the true God of the universe uh, who created the land and the seas, and here's what he's saying, that if you do not repent and turn to him, the city will be destroyed. And so now they are not spiritually and morally unaware. They have been made aware, and they turn to God. And so lastly, there's an almost a sarcasm of sorts in God's unanswered question to Jonah, right? He says, if you, if you won't show pity on the people created in my image, will you at least show compassion on the cattle? You know, will you at least have some compassion on the animals? After all, you showed compassion towards a plant, so maybe you don't like the people, but what did the animals do to you? Can you show some compassion to them? Because um, there's grace upon them as well. And, uh, but it shows us and Jonah that Jonah's heart was not right still with God. And nor did he fully accept that he too was given undeserved grace and mercy. And so, you know, Jonah is so quick to accept his grace and, and feels almost maybe that he deserves that kind of grace because he is a prophet of God or whatever it may be. But he, he's not so quick to uh, give that grace or feel like that grace is deserved upon other people. But for me, the story of Jonah really is a reminder of God's grace on my life and a reminder that God's heart is for all people and therefore my heart must be for all people. Regardless of they're an enemy of me personally or an enemy of our country, whatever it is, we must show grace and compassion and love to all people because God's heart is for all people. And so as we close this morning, I want to leave you with a few questions. And these questions are in your handout this morning. Uh, I don't know if you guys fill those out or not, or at least contemplate them. But um, I would encourage you to do so. It kind of just allows you to go a little bit deeper um, in our message today. But one question is, where is your heart this morning? Right? Is, is your heart truly desiring of all people to be saved? Or is, or is it a little less than that? What is your heart towards enemies or those who may have wronged you? Do you you desire judgment upon them from the Lord or do you understand God's grace upon your own life? And that's the last, last question too. Are you aware of God's grace upon your own life? 
So it's so easy to see the faults and the sins and the deserved punishment of others, right? It's so easy to see and point them out and sometimes we compare ourselves to people to make ourselves feel better, whatever it is. But we must remember that we're all deserving of punishment, right? And it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And it tells us, it continues in that verse, it's not your own doing, right? It's the gift of God. There's nothing you can do to earn that, that salvation or that grace. It's nothing you did. It's, it's simply a gift by God. So when we're aware of God's grace in our own lives, and when we remember that grace extended to us, it is so much easier to extend God's grace to others. And so that's what I want to leave you with this morning and going out this week is um, when you feel those those just those negative feelings swell inside you that if there's any anger animosity or jealousy or whatever it may be towards another person whether it's family uh you know a former friend a co-worker uh just anyone god places in your life just remember in those moments that god's grace has been extended upon your own life and when you do that it's so much easier to extend god's grace to others let's pray Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the story of Jonah, Lord, and just the reminder of your character, Lord, that you are so good and so gracious and that you desire all people to come and know you and that you are, are slow to judgment and, and just desiring us to, to turn back to you, Lord God. And so I just ask that you would just reveal in our own lives maybe that attitude that we may have that we might not even be aware of, Lord. And that you would just remind us of the grace that you have poured out upon our own lives individually and that you have um, given us a way, a means of salvation through uh, the death of your son on the cross and the resurrection. Lord, we just thank you for that. That while in the midst of our sins you died for us, that we may have that opportunity to know you for eternity, Lord. And so I just ask that we would just extend grace to those around us, Lord. And sometimes we don't even know the entire situation of somebody's life and so it could be so easy to pass judgment on them and, and just deem them just unworthy or whatever it may be. Lord, but just fill our hearts with grace, fill our hearts with compassion uh, for those in this world, Lord. I just ask that you would just give us, um, that you just reveal to us the people in our lives, Lord, maybe not their, their whole story or situation, but just give us a heart that breaks for them as your heart does for people, Lord, and that we would just be a people that would withhold judgment.